Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. gentlemen. Welcome to the TD Bank Group Q3 2021 earnings conference call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Ms. Jillian Manning. Please go ahead, Ms. Manning. Thank you, operator. Good afternoon and welcome to TD Bank Group's third quarter 2021 investor presentation. We will begin today's presentation with remarks from Barrett Masrani, the bank's CEO, after which Riaz Ahmed, the bank's CFO, will present our third quarter operating results. Ajay Bambawale, Chief Risk Officer, will then offer comments on credit quality, after which we will invite questions from pre-qualified analysts and investors on the phone. Also present today to answer your questions are Terry Curry, Group Head, Canadian Personal Banking, Greg Braca, President and CEO of TD Bank, America's Most Convenient Bank, and Bob Dorans, Group Head, Wholesale Banking. Please turn to slide two. At this time, I would like to caution our listeners that this presentation contains forward-looking statements that there are risks that actual results could differ materially from what is discussed, and that certain material factors or assumptions were applied in making these forward-looking statements. Any forward-looking statements contained in this presentation represent the views of management and are presented for the purpose of assisting the bank's shareholders and analysts in understanding the bank's financial position, objectives and priorities, and anticipated financial performance. Forward-looking statements may not be appropriate for other purposes. I would also like to remind listeners that the bank uses non-GAAP financial measures to arrive at adjusted results to assess each of its businesses and to measure overall bank performance. The bank believes that adjusted results provide readers with a better understanding of how management views the bank's performance. Barrett will be referring to adjusted results in his remarks. Additional information on items of note, the bank's reported results, and factors and assumptions related to forward-looking information are all available in our Q3 2021 report to shareholders. With that, let me turn the presentation over to Barrett. Thank you, Jillian, and thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Q3 was a strong quarter for TD, with net income after tax of $3.6 billion and EPS of $1.96, well above last year's levels and just shy of our record Q2 results. We had strong revenue growth in the personal and commercial banking businesses as rising customer activity drove higher volumes and fee income and margin pressure eased. Wealth insurance and wholesale earnings moderated, but remained well above pre-pandemic levels, and aggregate AUA and AUM across our Canadian and U.S. wealth platforms surpassed $1 trillion for the first time. Our CT1 ratio ended the quarter at 14.5%, reflecting these strong fundamentals and good credit conditions against the backdrop of an improving macro environment. This capital position gives us considerable flexibility to pursue organic and inorganic growth opportunities, as well as return capital to shareholders when current restrictions are eased. As always, we will be disciplined in our approach, deploying capital thoughtfully and in support of our long-term strategic objectives. I'm very pleased with our performance this quarter and encouraged by the progress we are seeing in the North American economy and across our client base. The pandemic is still very much with us, but there's growing evidence that everyone 
is learning how to manage through it. Last quarter, I said that as, as economic conditions normalize, TD strength would come to the fore. That is exactly what is happening. We're adding new customers and deepening existing relationships. And we look forward to supporting our customers through the next phase of the recovery with advice and solutions to meet their evolving financial needs, leveraging our 1TD model. Our Canadian retail segment earned $2.1 billion in, in, in the third quarter with strong revenue and volume growth. The personal and commercial bank had a terrific quarter with customer activity rebounding strongly, driving record volumes in many business lines. In real estate secured lending and commercial, year-to-date net growth in loan volumes has surpassed full-year 2020 levels. While credit card balances are still being impacted by high savings rates, card retail sales reached a new high in Q3, as we've made creative use of accelerators and leverage our strategic relationships, including the new subscription offer we introduced this quarter with Instacart. Bonuses for TD Aeroplan cardholders who link their card to a Starbucks account. And our exclusive relationship with Amazon, which has seen customers make over 1 million redemptions using the Amazon Shop with points capability on their TD card. On the deposit side, we extended our lead in personal deposits and commercial volumes remain strong. In the wealth business, while trading volumes moderated in line with the industry, our advice channels again performed very well. We achieved record year-to-date net asset growth in our advice businesses and record year-to-date long-term sales in our TD Mutual Fund franchise. Insurance delivered strong top-line growth and saw a steady return to pre-COVID driving patterns. We supported our clients through two catastrophic weather events in Calgary and Barrie, providing ongoing relief. We also strengthened our position as the digital insurance leader in Canada with new capabilities like same-day online quote and bind. And our mobile banking app and website earned top marks for customer engagement and experience in a trio of surveys from Sensor Tower to Apptopia and similar web. Turning to the U.S., a U.S. retail bank delivered record earnings of $891 million U.S. million this quarter on improved revenue and stable expenses. Deposit volumes moderated, but still grew at double-digit rates year over year as customers continue to trust TD for their banking needs. We saw further loan paydowns on the back of still high levels of liquidity, but debit and credit card transaction activity accelerated. In particular, we've seen strong take-up of our new double-up credit card, adding 50,000 customers since last quarter's launch. The card offers customers 1% cash back on purchases and another 1% when they redeem points into a TD deposit account, helping us broaden and deepen relationships. We continue to win on service, convenience, and safety. This quarter, we made it easier for customers to engage with us, enabling them to book in-person appointments online across our retail businesses. We added new capabilities in our stores to untether employees so they can serve our customers better. We continue to partner with top-tier fintech companies to offer small business and commercial clients integrated payment solutions. And we were proud to be ranked number one by insider intelligence for security and reputation 
in the 2021 Banking Digital Trust Report. In wholesale banking, earnings were $330 million on a normalization in trading activity, partly offset by higher advisory fees. TD Securities won several signature mandates in the quarter and received further recognition for the investments we've made to strengthen our global platform and enhance the capabilities we offer our clients. We were active book runner and sole Canadian dealer on Air Canada's $2 billion high-yield cross-border trade, the Canadian component of which was the largest ever high-yield deal in Canada. TD Securities was named Canada's best investment bank in Euromoney's awards for excellence in 2021, our first time taking this honor. And in global markets, we were joint winners of most impressive sovereign supranational agency house for post-LIBOR solutions and most impressive SSA coverage team at the 2021 Global Capital Bond Awards. We also built on our leadership in the ESG space, being selected as one of two structuring advisors to the Government of Canada on its inaugural green bond issuance. Overall, as I reflect on our performance so far this year, I'm pleased with the way we've navigated a complex and rapidly changing environment. We continue to benefit from our diversified business mix, and our people have demonstrated their ability to rise to the current challenge. As we enter, as we enter the final quarter of the year, the environment remains fluid. The pandemic is still raging in many parts of the world. And while rising vaccination rates have supported a strong recovery in economic and employment growth, new variants are challenging this forward progress and complicating reopening plans. That's why last week we announced that starting November 1st, colleagues entering a TD workplace will need to be fully vaccinated or be subject to additional safety protocols. We believe vaccination is the best path out of the pandemic and the right way to protect the health and safety of our customers, colleagues, and communities. The benefits of the recovery taking hold around us are evident. It's critical we do everything we can to maintain and build on the gains. It's also clear those gains are not being distributed equally. A sustainable recovery must also be an inclusive recovery. We took several steps this quarter to advance that objective. In the U.S., we announced a $100 million U.S. dollar equity fund to support minority-owned small businesses with $25 million U.S. dollars targeted for Black and Latinx-owned firms to provide communities of color with access to the capital they need to grow their businesses. We launched new retail banking offerings on both sides of the border to better meet the needs of underserved customers. In Canada, we entered into a strategic alliance with Canada Post to increase access to financial services for Canadians, particularly in rural, remote, and indigenous communities. And in the U.S., we made changes to our overdraft policies and introduced TD Essential Banking, a low-cost deposit account supplemented by a suite of accessible and customized financial education tools. And we kicked off the annual TD Ready Challenge. This year's campaign will provide a total of $10 million in financial support to organizations that have developed scalable solutions to help K-12 students disproportionately affected by pandemic-related learning loss in math and reading. These purposeful investments reinforce the strength of our proven business model. 
They reflect our unique and inclusive culture, and they will enable us to continue playing a key role in driving forward the recovery and delivering the right outcomes for all of our stakeholders. None of this would be possible without our 90,000 TD bankers who bring our purpose to life and deliver each day on our vision to be the better bank. I'll end by thanking them for their hard work and dedication. With that, I'll turn it over to Riaz. Thank you, Bart. Good afternoon, everyone. Please turn to slide nine. At this quarter, the bank reported earnings of $3.5 billion and EPS of $1.92, and adjusted earnings were $3.6 billion and adjusted EPS was $1.96. Revenue was even on a year-over-year -year basis, as continued strong volume growth and higher fee income in the retail segments were offset by lower wholesale revenue and the impact of foreign currency translation and lower margins. Provisions for credit losses was a recovery of $37 million, as impaired PCL was more than offset by a performing PCL release. Expenses increased 6% year-over-year, mainly reflecting an increase in the retailer program partner's net share of profits from the U.S. strategic card portfolio, primarily on lower PCL. Absent the partner share of PCL, adjusted expenses increased 1%. Because the year-over-year -year change in PCL remains large, the accounting for the U.S. Strategic Cards Portfolio Program continues to have a significant impact on expenses, as well as total bank pre-tax, pre-provision earnings, and operating leverage. Slides 22 to 23 of the presentation show how we calculate PTPP and operating leverage at the total bank level by removing this impact, along with the impact of foreign currency translation, which was significant again this quarter. The slides show that total bank PTPP was up 3% year-over-year and 11% quarter-over-quarter, reflecting strong revenue growth in our retail segment, partly offset by a decline in wholesale revenue. Please turn to slide 10. Canadian retail net income was $2.1 billion, up $862 million year-over-year. -year. On an adjusted basis, net income increased $837 million year-over-year. Revenue increased 9%, reflecting higher fee-based revenue in the banking and wealth businesses, and higher loan and deposit volumes, partially offset by lower deposit margins. Average loan volumes rose 7%, reflecting growth in personal and business volumes. Average deposits rose 13%, reflecting double-digit growth in personal, business, and wealth volumes. Wealth assets increased 20%, reflecting market appreciation, and new asset growth, including record mutual fund flows. Margin was flat to the prior quarter at 2.61%. Total PCL of $100 million was higher by $137 million sequentially, mainly reflecting a smaller recovering performing PCL this quarter. Total PCL as an annualized percentage of credit volume was 0.08%. Insurance claims increased 4% year-over-year, primarily reflecting higher current year claims from business growth, partially offset by a decrease in the fair value of investments supporting claims liabilities. Reported expenses increased 8%, reflecting volume-driven and employee-related expenses, as well as higher technology and marketing costs as we continue to invest in the business. Please turn to slide 11. U.S. retail segment reported net income was U.S. $1.1 billion, up U.S. $562 million. 
U.S. retail bank net income was a record U.S. $891 million, up U.S. $631 million, primarily reflecting lower PCL and higher revenue, partially offset by higher expenses. Revenues increased 5%, reflecting higher fee income from increased customer activity, strong deposit growth, and higher income from PPP loans, partially offset by lower deposit margin. Average loan volumes decreased 5% year-over-year. Personal volumes decreased 1%, primarily reflecting lower home equity and credit card balances. And business loans declined 8%, reflecting paydowns and lower commercial line usage, partially offset by higher average PPP loan volumes. Average deposit volumes, excluding sweep deposits, were up 15%, including 25% growth in core consumer checking. Sweep deposits were up 3%. Net interest margin was 2.16%, up one basis point sequentially. Total PCL, including only the bank's share of PCL for the strategic cards portfolio, was a recovery of U.S. $74 million, higher by U.S. $99 million sequentially on a smaller recovery in performing PCL. The U.S. retail net PCL ratio was negative 0.18%. Expenses increased 2%, primarily reflecting higher investments in the business. The contribution from TD's investment in Schwab was U.S. $161 million, compared with a contribution of U.S. $230 million from TD Ameritrade a year ago. Please turn to slide 12. Wholesale net income was $330 million, a decrease of 25%, reflecting lower revenue, partially offset by lower PCL and lower non-interest expenses. Revenue was $1.1 billion, down 22%, primarily reflecting lower trading-related revenue, partially offset by higher other revenue and advisory fees. PCL was $2 million. Expenses were down 5%, primarily reflecting lower variable compensation, partially offset by higher employee-related costs from continued investments in wholesale banking's U.S. dollar strategy. Please turn to slide 13. The corporate segment reported a net loss of $205 million in the quarter, compared with a net loss of $130 million in the third quarter last year. The year-over-year -year increase reflects a lower contribution from other items, acquisition and integration charges related to the Schwab transaction, and higher net corporate expenses. Adjusted net loss for the quarter was $122 million, compared with an adjusted net loss of $76 million in the third quarter last year. Please turn to slide 14. Common equity tier one ratio ended the quarter at 14.5%, up 25 basis points from Q2. We had strong organic capital generation this quarter, which added 45 basis points to CET1 capital. Closing of the Wells Fargo Canadian Direct Equipment Finance business and Headlands Tech Global Markets acquisitions during the quarter collectively accounted for 15 basis points of capital. Higher RWA net FX than other items subtracted a further five basis points from capital, mainly attributable to higher credit risk and market risk, uh, RWA. RWA increased $10 billion on a quarter-over-quarter -quarter -quarter basis, mainly reflecting higher market risk and credit risk-weighted risk assets. The increase in market risk RWA reflected the expiry of Aussie's temporary reduction of the SVAR multiplier, and the increase in credit risk RWA reflected higher wholesale banking exposures, the impact of FX, and acquisition, 
partially offset by positive credit migration in Canadian and U.S. retail. The leverage ratio was 4.8% this quarter, and the LCR ratio was 124%, both well above regulatory minimums. I will now turn the call over to Ajay. Thank you, Riaz, and good afternoon, everyone. Please turn to slide 15. Gross-impaired loan formations decreased three basis points quarter over quarter to 11 basis points, a 16-year low, and were lower across all segments. Please turn to slide 16. Gross-impaired loans declined three basis points, or 152 million, quarter over quarter to 2.65 billion, reflecting the ongoing impact of support programs, customer resilience, and the economic recovery. Please turn to slide 17. Recall that our presentation reports PCL ratios, both gross and net, of the partner share of the U.S. strategic card PCLs. We remind you that PCLs recorded in the corporate segment are fully absorbed by our partners and do not impact the bank's net income. Bank recorded a PCL recovery of 35 million in the quarter, reflecting a performing allowance release, partially offset by cyclically low impaired provisions. Please turn to slide 18. Bank's impaired PCL was 244 million, with all segments contributing to 141 million quarter-over-quarter decrease. Performing PCL was a recovery of 279 million this quarter, compared to a recovery of 758 million last quarter. The current quarter recovery reflects additional allowance releases in the Canadian retail, U.S. retail, and corporate segments. Please turn to slide 19. The allowance for credit losses decreased 258 million to 7.7 billion quarter over quarter, reflecting a performing allowance release, largely related to continued improvement in credit conditions. In summary, credit performance has trended positively this year as we have progressed through the pandemic. And PCLs may continue to be relatively low through the balance of the fiscal year. While credit performance has been satisfactory, uncertainty associated with the ultimate credit impact of COVID-19 remains elevated, and credit results may vary by quarter. TD, however, remains well-positioned to manage through the balance of the pandemic Given we are adequately provisioned, we have a strong capital position, and we have a business that is broadly diversified across products and geographies. With that operator, we are now ready to begin the Q&A session. Thank you. We will now take questions from the telephone lines. If you have a question and you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection. If you have a question, please press star 1 on your device's keypad. You may cancel your question at any time by pressing star 2. Please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause while the participants register. Thank you for your patience.
The first question is from Gabriel Deshane with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic, but today work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries, and with that we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Woohoo, number one. Um, First of all, Bob, uh, congratulations on uh, your retirement. And, uh, you know, uh, good luck, um, you know, in the next phase. And uh, congrats to Riaz for uh, stepping in there. Uh, so as far as my question goes, it's for uh, the U.S. business. Um, I saw that you made some changes to your deposit product lineup. You added one that doesn't charge overdraft fees anymore, and then the uh, I guess the existing product, you know, some more some curves or limits on how many times you can charge overdraft and at what level they're triggered. Is this uh, stuff that? going to have any noticeable impact on the uh, revenue line in the U.S. in the uh, coming quarters? Because uh, I understand the, uh, that, that, that fee source is a pretty substantial one. Well, Gabriel, uh, first of all, thank you for the question. Hope all is well. Um, let me just provide a little context why, why we did that and why we rolled the product out. We call it Bank Essential. First, as you know, you know our model uh, in the U.S., we're particularly um, focused on uh, making sure we're covering all of the communities in which we do business. And uh, still, to a large part, unfortunately, there is a lot of uh, unbanked or underbanked populations uh, in the U.S., uh, really throughout the footprint. And, you know, in doing our own research and seeing where the market was moving, um, we thought this was the right approach uh, to making sure we're providing banking services to the new the bank environment, uh, as well as those that have been troubled by overdrafts in the past. And um, uh, Bank Essential really is a, a non-overdraft product that you cannot overdraw. There, there are no checks, but you get all the benefits of uh, ATM, digital, online banking, and certainly the debit capabilities that go along with it. So we think this is a positive product, and um, you know we're already getting really good feedback in just a, a couple of short weeks from the field, and, uh, and folks are embracing it. I do want to say, though, that uh, you know, for our core customers that are in the banking world, there is a definite place for the overdraft product and the ability to make sure that items get paid and, uh, and folks continue to uh, have access to, to items that are clearing through their account whether they're at the register or, or through the check, and um, uh, you know, overdraft still has a place. Uh, what I would say is that uh, some of the changes that we made into the number of limits 
uh, to your question and how many times you can overdraw and the actual uh, thresholds uh, to overdraw. We just think these were uh, better experiences for our customer, and, uh, and we really wanted to make sure that we continue to face off with, uh, you know, our 10 million customers and, and, uh, and stay very competitive with the market. So we think these were positive changes. As to the impact, um, this is not going to have a material impact on our, on our P&L or our performance. Um, but, um, you know, uh, we would think that the, the combination of these changes, if you'd size them, uh, they could be worth 40 or $50 million. But this is, this is not going to uh, uh, change the narrative of our, of our P&L. Is that brand? Obviously, obviously, we'll continue to watch where the market moves with these developments, and, uh, you know, we'll stay current on our product suite. Is that, is that per annum or per quarter? No, no, that would, that's a per annum, no. Okay, all right. Well, uh, thanks for that, Greg. Appreciate the, uh, the, the quantification there and, uh, and the rationale, which I, which I totally understand as well. Thank you, and uh, enjoy the rest of your summer. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Doug Young with Desjardins Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. Um, just, Barrett, in your uh, opening remarks, you talked a bit about P&C margin pressure easing. So the question, um, maybe it's more to, to Terry and Greg but uh, and for Riaz, but have we, I guess the question is, have we hit a trough in, in NIMS at the divisional level, or is there structurally some further pressure that we should be expecting? Any guidance on that side? And then as we roll that up to top of the house, is there anything else in corporate that could cause some uh, noise in NIMS as we go forward. And, and maybe, Greg, within your answer, was there any impact from the triple T prepayment on margins in this quarter? Thanks. Let me just, uh, just from an overall bank perspective, Doug, this is Barrett, and then pass it on to Terry and, and Greg to talk about, you know, each of our major businesses. But generally, you know, th this number keeps on bumping around, as you've heard. Generally, there's been a downward pressure on this, so, you know, the quarter to quarter, it can bump around. But as long as rates are <clears throat> where they are and our you know, business continues to grow, there, there may be pressure, uh, downward pressure. But without a doubt, you know, a lot of the, 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 the repricing that has occurred, uh, you know, we're coming to, towards the end of this cycle rather than towards the beginning of this cycle. Uh, so why don't I pass it over to Terry, you know, perhaps she can comment on, on, on the, your, your divisional question and then maybe Greg can pick it up at his end. And then Greg can pick up your question on the, the triple P loans. Okay, thanks, Barrett. It's Terry. Um, I would say there's not a lot to add uh, from uh, our business perspective to what Barrett had said. Uh, we, you know, we were pleased that the pressures eased, and in fact, the margins were flat uh, sequentially. Uh, there are still, you know, sort of there's still downward pressure uh, going forward, um, and that's again there are a lot of moving parts. Um, so not a lot to add, Barrett, to what you said. Well, thanks for the question. Um, and uh, the, way, the way I'd say about the U.S., I think Barrett uh, categorized it uh, very appropriately. On any given quarter, this thing will bump around a bit. Uh, but I would say the general um, uh, direction, it could still uh, have some pressure in, in subsequent quarters. Uh, and it's mostly because um, what we're seeing is we're still seeing the mix of the business and deposits, uh, really overwhelming loan growth, and deposits continue to come in. Um, at, a, at a very robust pace, even though we still have uh, some of that growth in our year-over-year -year comparisons at this point and still growing double digits. The other aspect of it, as we know, is that while the long rates, while the short end of the curve is, is in the base year-over-year, 
um, you know, you still have some pressure on the long end as we reprice investments that are maturing, and there's still some downward pressure there. What I was pleased to see in this past quarter is some uh, stabilization and strengthening in our in our loan margins, which was uh, a very constructive as we were up one basis point quarter over quarter. And to answer your question directly, PPP, uh, in this quarter, it may had uh, maybe two basis points of impact to, to the upside. Okay. And Rios, there's nothing as I pulled that up to the top of the house, like not about surprising, but as I pull up to the top of the house, there's nothing else that's that I should be thinking about at the corporate level. No, Doug, not in a structural way. I mean, uh, Terry and uh, Greg have called out balance sheet flows and the volatility in rates and market conditions, but sometimes uh, sort of in the corporate segment, you can see some volatility come out from uh, hedging arrangements and uh, issues like that. So uh, I would say that uh, to echo Barrett's uh, comments that you know, we're kind of more into closer to uh, just uh, business as usual developments on margins as some of the rate cut impacts that we saw, the significant rate cut impacts we saw last year are now kind of in a year-over-year sense uh, worked out. Perfect, helpful. And then just second, Terry, on the wealth management earnings, uh, they were down $45 million sequentially from last or from last quarter sequentially, but uh, can you talk a bit what, about what drove this? I was a bit surprised by that, and is there anything unusual in there? Uh, so thanks for the question. I guess I would say, you know, Wealth Nyet was up, you know, 16% year over year. There was a, sequ a sequential uh, decline, as you mentioned. Uh, really, that would be um, all to do with sort of levels of trading activity. Um, you can see in the appendix of the presentation on page 25, sort of the makeup of the of the wealth earnings. Um, and so, I guess I would comment that, you know, real strength in the advisory parts of the business. Uh, you know, Q3 was our highest um, Q3 ever uh, for mutual fund, long-term mutual fund net sales. And uh, I think we haven't seen levels like that back till probably 2015 or something like that. Uh, so real strength, and that's really a tribute to the investments that uh, Leo Salom and uh, our teams have been making in advisors and in capabilities to serve our customers. And on the transaction revenue, I mean, We've probably come from three times what would have been the normal rate uh, pre-pandemic down to something like two times uh, what you know we would have seen. And I think as we think forward around transaction revenue, we would still expect it to remain above pre-pandemic levels. Helpful. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Manny Grauman with Scotia Bank. Please go ahead. Hi. Good afternoon. Uh, this is a question uh, regarding loan growth. Uh, uh, in PNC Canada, when I look uh, at uh, TD and track it versus uh, the peer average, it looks like TD's been lagging the peer average since about uh, Q120. And so when I look at that, you know, I wonder what's going on. One thing that comes to mind is that, you know, you adjusted your risk appetite more aggressively as a result of, of COVID, and certainly the gap with peers appears to have enlarged around the height of COVID. So I'm just wondering if if that is uh, in any way part of the story, and, th and then I have a follow-up. So maybe I'll step back. Uh, you know, really pleased, and you know, we're really paying attention to what are, what are those signs of momentum, and I think our sequential performance uh, was very strong uh, across the board for PNC. Um, if I look at lending uh, and sort of break it apart, you know, commercial lending was really strong this quarter. 
Um, and you know that had three elements to it. One was the wells acquisition, uh, but even without that, uh, real strength in uh, growth in commercial lending. Uh, and we saw that with some uh, commercial loan utilization coming back. Obviously, it's still well off pre-pandemic levels, but kind of Q1 was the dip, and it's continued to. Uh, we've continued to see utilization grow since then, so that's a positive, and there's room to grow there. And then uh, real estate and sort of any real estate-related businesses, obviously there's real strength and demand there. And so uh, commercial was a real uh, source of strength. Uh, real estate secured lending, uh, on a, a sequential basis, uh, we were a bit behind the peers. Uh, if you look at uh, market share data for the 2021 calendar year, what's been reported to date, given the scale of our business uh, over the first four months of the calendar year, we did take share. That may bump around over the next few quarters, but I'm confident with the investments that we've made in advisors and capabilities for our customers um, that uh, we'll see us uh, you know, continuing to build uh, that market share position over the coming year. And then credit cards, obviously, another component. And to the specific of your question, both for unsecured personal lending and credit cards, uh, we would have seen both the, the economic activity impacts, which disproportionately given our particular cards mix towards travel uh, and, and premium cards, uh, you know, has impacted us. Having said that, uh, you would have seen uh, in this uh, quarter, you know, unbelievable uh, sales results, uh, strength 21% uh, up year over year. So we're really seeing the economic activity come back uh, in spend. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're seeing that in a time when still travel is about 62% off uh, you know, sort of the levels pre-pandemic. Part of the story is uh, the return to some of the risk strategies that um, we'd been a little more cautious on through the pandemic, things like balance transfer and uh, limit increase offers, and those are predominantly back in market, and we should see the benefits of those going forward. If you look at Q3 results, uh, interest-bearing loans are down slightly, but promo loans and the free period are actually up. And historically, those turn into interest-bearing loans over a period of time. So I think we're well positioned both with, uh, you know, travel to come back, international travel and FX in particular, uh, and then uh, these offers being back in market, to, and then the breadth of our product uh, availability and our partnerships in cards uh, to capture demand going forward. And, if I can, and just if I can just a comment or two. You know, from my perspective, there's really no change in risk appetite in, in Terry's business. And as she outlined, there was some selective tightening, you know, during the uh, pandemic, and that's uh, for the large part reinstated. The other comment I'd make is in the risk department, we certainly look at the origination quality very closely, and, uh, and we're satisfied with what we're seeing. So. And just as a follow-up, Terry, how important is it to get uh, back above average? Is that something you're, you track or, or you don't look at it that way? And then, and then when do you expect to get above the so average? The, uh, so I, I guess commercial, I'd say going really well. Uh, in terms of real estate secured lending, as I mentioned, uh, you know, the, the percentage growth versus the scale of our business and the share growth, we are actually taking share in the first four months of the year and expect to continue uh, to take share going forward. So, uh, comfortable that we've got the right strategies and investments in place. And then on credit cards, uh, I would uh, attribute, you know, kind of middle of the pack right now, and I would attribute that again to the mix of the book. Um, you know, we've got the Amazon partnership, which is unique to TD and delivering great results. 
Uh, Barrett mentioned the Shock with Points redemptions that are only available to TD customers. We have the partnerships through AeroPlan, uh, including a unique uh, capability for Canadians to get bonus offers through Starbucks, and you may have just seen an announcement that AeroPlan will be partnering with the LCBO, so another great opportunity for TD cardholders only. Uh, and then uh, the Instacart subscription uh, sort of work that we're doing. So I, I feel overall like we are well positioned. Uh, there's nothing uh, sort of standing in our way as economic uh, activity returns to uh, regaining a leadership position. Thank you, Pat. Thank you. The next question is from Ibrahim Punawala with Bank of America. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. I guess uh, just uh, Terry, maybe sticking with credit cards, uh, there's been a fair amount of conversation around uh, BNPL over the last few months. As you think about uh, the growth of that product, one, remind us everything that you are doing in terms of partnerships uh, to grow that. And secondly, given just um, your positioning in the credit card business, both in the US and Canada, do you agree with the view that the, the, the economics of the cards business and what that business might look as we emerge, come out of the pandemic are, is likely to be very different, impacted by the liquidity that the consumers have and the adoption of the BNPL? Uh, There's a lot in that question. Let me, let me start with the sort of the, 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 the end of your question on the economics of the business. So as, as I talked about, real strength in uh, customer activity and therefore other income was very strong. Uh, and uh, you know, I would think that as that activity continues, we would continue to see strength there. Clearly what, uh, you know, we are building loan balances, but that will lag the customer activity. Um, and, uh, but I have no reason uh, not, I, I believe that we will have sequential uh, loan balance growth uh, sustained over the coming period of time as the activity returns, and that will obviously uh, lead to further profitability. So I don't see any sort of permanent impact. It's a timing issue from my perspective more than a, an issue. Uh, as it relates to buy now, pay later, um, we are paying attention to this uh, evolution. Uh, I don't see it in the near term being an impact to uh, our ability to uh, continue to grow profitably. Um, having said that, we are uh, playing in the space uh, with our MB&A uh, card offering. We do have a post-purchase installment plan capability that's been in market for a number of months, and it has uh, it's, it's worked well. Uh, and we've built that in such a way that it is uh, leverageable in our Visa uh, credit card portfolio, and so that's something that we'll continue to evaluate. Um, and then uh, in the U.S. business, uh, you may be aware that we have both pre- and post-purchase capability in the retail card services business, uh, and we have uh, also uh, an opportunity with select merchants in a partnership with a fintech uh, to do point-of-sale purchase installment lending. And so, you know, one of the things TD's done a great job of is, you know, sort of leveraging capabilities on either side of the border, learning uh, on either side of the border, and then implementing as it makes sense for our customers uh, going forward. So I'd say it's a space we're paying attention to. I don't see it having a material impact in the near term, and we've got good experience uh, in the product. That's helpful. Thank you. And I guess just, uh, uh, Bob, Arias, congratulations uh, to both of you. Uh, I, maybe a word on the wholesale business. Uh, you've been investing and growing that for the last number of years. 
uh, give us a sense of as we come out of this, where are the market share opportunities for TD in the wholesale business? Is it a product? Is it a geography? And, and kind of how do we think about where we are in the market share growth opportunity and outlook there for that business? Bob, you can really set this up for Riaz. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can set it up and uh, <clears throat> give the responsibility to Riaz. Uh, um, so the, the, it, it definitely is in uh, the U.S. dollar uh, business, uh, Ibrahim, uh, both in the uh, U.S. region, but also in U.S. dollar products globally. Uh, and uh, I think the big uh, opportunities for growth, there's just you know the ongoing addition of uh, – corporate clients, uh, which were growing organically. We continue to invest in uh, adding people um, and uh, adding credit relationships, uh, enhancing those relationships uh, with the introduction of the, the product suite that we've been building. Uh, we've uh, you know, more recently been invested in, uh, in uh, U.S. asset securitization products, uh, asset-backed securities, um, you know that you know we whereas uh, adding to our corporate bond capabilities, uh, we're very focused uh, as well on how we can uh, uh, do more in the uh, private equity part of uh, the landscape because that is really growing as you all know, um, and uh, so we're uh, we've been building out uh, relationships with uh, the private equity uh, major private equity funds in uh, in the U.S. Uh, and 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 the mid cap ones as well where uh, where they fit the product suites. Uh, we've been focused on uh, also uh, yeah, we've focused on the Canadian uh, European pension clients that have active interest in that market as well, um, adding to our uh, product capabilities uh, in the leverage finance, high yield uh, bond markets, uh, etc. So uh, we are seeing growth there, uh, lots of opportunity for growth. Uh, it's a very uh, uh, large and large market. Uh, we're looking uh, to focus on the segments of that market that we are uh, comfortable uh, and have expertise in and, and, and can add uh, increasingly to. Um, on the product side, we're also uh, continue to build the uh, prime service business. Uh, we continue to build our uh, our energy and uh, commodity trading businesses, uh, our equity structured product businesses. So there's there's uh, lots of opportunity, but uh, you know we're we are doing this organically, and you, they do take uh, time. Uh, we've uh, you know we've more than doubled uh, our workforce in the U.S. in the last uh, seven eight years, and uh, we're adding to it uh, this year as well. And we will add over the next uh, number of years. Um, so that you know, I, I think it's uh, it's important. It will diversify uh, our uh, business model. Um, you know, we're all, we all fight for market share in, in Canada, but Canada has been, uh, you know, it's a relatively mature market. It's not like the U.S. is immature, but it's just much, much larger. And uh, we've also been working hand-in-hand uh, -hand with Greg's uh, team uh, as to how we become, uh, you know, increasingly successful as being a good partner uh, in pursuing a universal banking model in the U.S. And, and, and that's uh, that's showing uh, lots of opportunity, and, and uh, we look forward to continuing to do that. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Paul Holden with CIBC. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon. Um, I didn't think I'd be asking this question this deep into the uh, Q&A session, but I guess I'll ask on the discount broker threat in Canada with one of your competitors moving um, commissions to zero. 
how do you view that competitive threat and what strategies will you use to retain clients and, uh, and assets? So it's Terry. Thanks for the question, Paul. Um, maybe I'll just level set because I know there's been uh, some attempt to quantify what this could mean uh, if a similar strategy was taken by us. And so uh, I'll start with about 1% of TD's total revenue would be how we would estimate it. Uh, there's a broker dealer fees and commissions line one uh, in the SUPPAC page six, and it's about 50% of that line would be represented by a change that would be similar. Uh, so just to give you the quantification, I guess I'd start with, you know, we have an, a unique uh, and differentiated uh, offering uh, in TD Direct Investing, and so, you know, I think we provide significant value uh, that uh, enables our customers and clients to achieve their goals uh, with us uh, and also to feel uh, very well informed through our you know, industry-leading uh, learning uh, center and tools and capabilities that we provide, the dashboards you know, with WebBroker and uh, Thinkorswim. We have unique trading offerings. Uh, we have uh, advisors who are available and specialists who are available to our customers. Uh, and uh, we continue to really add uh, content. Uh, customers who leverage our learning content uh, provide us with very high satisfaction scores, like 20 points ahead of those that don't. And so I think that we have an offering and a platform that is a very unique uh, and, and adds significant value. And so our starting point wouldn't be that you know, we need to uh, make a change. Uh, you know, obviously, we'll continue to evaluate uh, what happens in the marketplace uh, and uh, continue to make the right decisions for our business. Um, I would also offer that you know, we have recently launched TD Goal Assist, and so we have a new uh, offering that is available to customers who really are self-service investors where they uh, you know, want to follow a plan. Uh, there's no uh, minimums. Uh, there's no monthly fee. Uh, no commissions for trading TD ETFs. So there is a, a, an offering sort of to meet the breadth uh, of needs of Canadian investors uh, that we feel very confident will continue to win in the future. Great. That's a very helpful answer. And then just one more for me, and I guess a bigger picture one. Um, the federal government announced some um, proposals around open banking uh, relatively recently. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are around um, open banking as a potential risk or opportunity and how TD is prepared for that uh, eventuality. Thanks. It's Terry again. And so, um, you know, this has been a, a file uh, that we've paid a lot of attention to. Obviously, the ability for customers to uh, share their data uh, safely and securely with full knowledge of um, where it's going and how it's being used is incredibly important uh, for us at TD, uh, and we've uh, talked about that over the years. I think we're uh, very well prepared uh, uh, and interested in continuing to leverage uh, data and third-party data in particular for our TD customers and think that uh, we have some unique uh, ability to do that. Uh, we've been involved in the U.S. marketplace in standing up a data sharing platform, Akoya, uh, and uh, by the end of this year, uh, along with other large banks in the U.S., we'll be able to, using APIs, uh, share uh, data if, if customers have uh, asked us to in an appropriate and safe fashion. Uh, and so, again, another example of where we're able to take uh, learnings from one market and apply them in another. 
Uh, so we look forward to the continuing evolution of open banking. Uh, we also think the, uh, you know, an industry-led uh, solution like in the U.S. makes a lot of sense. In some other global markets, uh, you know, this has uh, been put forward as a, a response to unbanked. That's a very small population in Canada, and I would say from a TD perspective, we think our Canada Post Alliance will be a way to get at uh, unbanked and Indigenous communities uh, across the country. And then uh, often it's, uh, it's talked about as a way to help customers switch bank accounts. More very few customers switch, but more customers switch in Canada than in other markets that have enabled this capability. So I don't see it as, a, as an access requirement, but what I do see is for customers who want to have the ability to have their data shared, we will be well positioned to uh, take advantage of that capability and help them meet their goals. Great. Thank you. That's it for me. Thank you. The next question is from Nigel D'Souza with Veritas Investment Research. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon. Uh, I wanted to first start off uh, on a quick question related to uh, trading revenue. When I look at uh, the income statement, there's a trading real income loss there of uh, about $16 million. And uh, that's against, you know, on the, on the segment level at wholesale banking, trading related revenue of $467 million. So I was wondering if you could just provide some color on, on the, the, the reconciliation there between that and, and what drove uh, at the bank level uh, that loss that, we, that we're seeing this quarter. Uh, Nigel, let me take that. It's Riaz. Uh, as, you can, uh, as you know, in uh, trading products, uh, you can have a combination of uh, both interest income as well as gains and losses that materialize from the daily flows. And so the accounting for that is that the uh, interest income and uh, taxable equivalent dividends and whatnot go into NII lines, and then the uh, market uh, gains and losses go into the, uh, to, to the other income lines. So what we do in the sub-pack is we uh, uh, break that all out for you and, and, and present it as a trading-related revenue, which is actually the proper line to focus on because uh, the, the trading gains and losses that gets offset with uh, NII lines as well to come up with that uh, trading-related number is how uh, I position it. But unpacking it is, uh, is, is, a, is a set of complexity with, with, between line items that, 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 that can be... Uh, very detailed, so bet better to just focus on the trading-related uh, line item as a way of comparing quarter-to-quarter uh, -quarter, uh, trends in how our global market business are doing. Okay, that, that's helpful. Maybe I'll look into details offline. Uh, if I could just pivot on to your allowances, and when I look at TD's release this quarter, it, it appears that TD's being a bit more conservative uh, than some of your peers in releasing uh, allowances on your performing loans. And I was wondering if there's anything you're seeing that uh, makes you more cautious or more conservative or, or maybe some color on how you're thinking of the uh, how the reversal would uh, would play out over the coming quarters. Yeah, it's Ajay. Uh, let me share my thoughts with you. I can't speak about the peers, but sort of if you go back and look over three quarters, you'll find that we have released 40% of the reserves we built since uh, COVID, and those reserve releases are really driven by two things, you know, the improvement in macro, and then the second is credit conditions. This quarter, what I would say is the Delta variant was uh, considered in, in greater detail, and mostly I would say in our downside case. So, so what we did is 
We selected a tougher downside case, which is a global slump. And that reflects that countries, including Canada and the United States, struggle to control the virus. And this could lead to additional containment measures. We also added some more weight on the downside, both for Canada and the US. So it's really the Delta variant that led to the overall macro factors tempering you know, our release this quarter. And then if I look ahead, um, you know, there are possibilities, of course, of future releases. And I think those would largely be driven by macro conditions. Uh, we would also look at the forward-looking uncertainty and to the extent it reduces, uh, there are possibilities of uh, additional releases. Again, as Barrett said, you know, the pandemic is, is not over. So you should expect uh, continued prudence from us. So let me pause that. Yeah, that's helpful. Just a quick clarification on the Delta variant. Are you, it seems to be having more of a regional impact in the U.S. So are you seeing something uh, different in your southeast footprint versus your northeast, or do you think about it regionally? Well, what we, what we know is it's spreading, and uh, right now it may be regional. But again, IFRS 9 is a forward-looking measure, and, you know, we have to sort of think about where it might be in, a, in, in you know, six months or even three months' time, and it, it has a lot of momentum. So... As I said, it's not in our base. It's mostly in our downside case, but we did consider it for this quarter. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Mike Rizanovic with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. A question for Greg. I wanted to go back to the NSF change in the U.S. and the $40 million that you referenced. Now, can we use the call reports, the regulatory call reports, as a uh, sort of proxy to how much you actually earn on NSF fees in the U.S. business? Uh, you can. Um, you can. I, I, I would just say that, um, you know, the call reports are a fine proxy, but, um, you know, a lot of times when we get talked about as a U.S. bank and our non-interest income uh, percentage of overdrafts is higher than a lot of our peers, Obviously, um, you know, some of that goes to the fact that we don't have the wholesale numbers in the U.S. business and we don't have, um, you know, a large, as large of a wealth business uh, built up yet. And you have, you know, lower, uh, uh, lower, lower drivers from some of those businesses. But, um, um, but those fee income uh, numbers that you call out um, uh, are fine to use as a proxy, sure. Okay, that's helpful. So, so then, with respect to the forty million comment, that that seems to be only about ten percent of, of what. The well, I said forty. Is. I said forty to fifty million, and it depends on volume, right, of uh, interactions that you'd see. But um, as we model this thing out in a return to normal activity levels, that's what we would see is to be the impact from these changes we made, reducing the number of overdrafts you can incur per day and reducing them from five to three and raising the threshold from $5 to 10. Um, but we were using um, normalized activity in the market. Got it. But I'm just, just curious, like, like with respect to your existing client base, it just seems a bit light given, you know, if, if you've got an option to not you know, ever have to pay those fees, like why would you have not, sorry, why would you not have more gravitation to that account with your existing client yeah. base? Like, it's a good question, but I'll go back to my opening when I talked about the product that it doesn't have an overdraft feature, uh, first and foremost, because there's no checks that come with this product. 
So a lot of your existing portfolio, our existing portfolio, are not going to gravitate towards not having the ability to have check writing capabilities, number one. Most people want that. A lot of people are going to want that. And then secondly, um, a lot of people find it actually very comforting that if something comes in, whether it's an ACH debit or a recurring payment, that there is some sort of overdraft protection that doesn't allow that item to get bounced back. Um, for, a, for, a cer- for a certain segment of the population, though, that are either new to banking or um, are trying to make sure that they're not overdrafting their account and have limited transactions, don't need check, uh, check writing capability, this will be attractive. Uh, but again, there's no checks that come with this product. So you, you're going to have some folks that, that this would not be applicable for, right? Got it. Thanks for that, Colin. And maybe if I could just quickly pivot to Terry, is this something that could potentially come to Canada inevitably? Uh, and, and not sure if you can quantify, but should we be looking at maybe the U.S. as a proxy in terms of how much of uh, the revenue in the Canadian business would come from uh, the NSF type fees? So it's Terry. The, um, so the proportion would be much lower in, in, in the Canadian business uh, as a starting point. And then I would say, you know, we do have a basic banking account available uh, in Canada. And for many of the same reasons uh, that Greg has cited, you know, overdraft protection is a convenience uh, and, and peace of mind product. Uh, and we have the opportunity for people to either pay as they go in most provinces or pay a, a, a flat fee for uh, the service. And so, you know, I, I don't necessarily see uh, a reaction to this in the same way, just given that uh, it's a very uh, meaningful and useful product for Canadians. Okay, thank you both for the, both for the caller. Thank you. The next question is from Darko Mihalic with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, thank you, Terry. I just want to go back to uh, the discussion on um, you know, the transaction uh, fees and, and the decline there. So from the outside looking in, it's hard for us to know, you know, with such a big decline quarter over quarter, um, you know, it, it's hard for us to know whether there is other underlying currents happening in, in the business. And what I mean by that is, you know, apart from potentially some of your customers going to uh, starting to trade with zero commissions, I doubt that's had an impact this quarter, but, you know, things like uh, fractional share ownership, um, cryptocurrency trading, is there any, um, do you think that's having any impact to the business? Is this something that TD um, is considering addressing? Um, Can you maybe just talk to those potential threats to the business or conversely, maybe they're opportunities, I don't know, but do you think any of that's having any impact with respect to those those revenues? Thanks for the question. I'd I'd probably go back to, uh, you know, we're coming off of, very high uh, levels of trading uh, relative to what would have been the normal pre-pandemic. And so, you know, you know that's three times to two times and, and an expectation that we have that we would continue to remain above pre-pandemic levels, I think, is a positive uh, and speaks to the uh, breadth of offering and the value of the platform that I talked about earlier. Uh, obviously, we continue to monitor the market and some of the things that you've identified uh, are uh, likely opportunities for the business uh, in the longer term. Uh, you know, we do pay close attention to the flows. Um, and, you know, I think one um, stat uh, that might be helpful is when we look at the um, uh, assets under administration in Q3 of customers under the age of 30, they actually grew sequentially. 
And so, you know, we are seeing a capture of uh, quality customers in that age bracket, which is something that I know people pay attention to. Uh, so just, I would reiterate just the, the strength and breadth of this offering. Uh, and, and obviously, we stay close to the market. And, uh, you know, the launch of TD Goal Assist was very recent, and it is a reaction to uh, what's happening in the market. And I can anticipate us continuing to deliver uh, against uh, enhanced customer expectations over the coming period. Okay, thanks for that. And Terry, you had a big jump in card services fees uh, and even service charges. Can you, get, can you just give us an idea of, I mean, it looks different from peers as well. Can you give us any insight into that? Certainly the, the service charges would be uh, just, again, client activity returning. Um, and so you know, activity levels would be the main driver. Okay. Thank you very much. And, uh, again, Bob, best of luck in retirement. And, uh, Riaz, congrats. Thank you. The next question is from Lamar Prasad with Cormark Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks. My question is probably for Greg. Can you provide the total dollar impact of paydowns in the U.S. on loan growth this quarter? Then maybe some comments on the expectation moving forward. I guess ultimately where I'm trying to get at is I'm trying to understand what we can expect to see loan growth in the U.S. come back in a, in a more meaningful way. Are we talking, say, a quarter or two out, or is it somewhere further down the road? Hi, well, thanks for the question. And uh, it's something, obviously, we're certainly very focused on. But let me just uh, take a step back and just uh, make sure we uh, just level set where we are in the U.S. and what most of our peers are seeing as far as loan growth. I think it's important to provide that context. And it, as you would have seen by much of their second quarter numbers as well, um, you know, we would have been on the, on the better side of the group, whether it's the regionals, or, and really, especially if you measure in the money centers, had far more substantial declines year over year in loan growth because of paydowns, particularly on the commercial side and in some of their card portfolios. Uh, and then just going on the context, as I said, in the last couple of quarters, you're seeing pressure on loan growth because of all of the government stimulus, and that's showing up in our deposit balances. And... Um, uh, so on the consumer side, there's been a whole host of uh, programs that continue to play out and are providing liquidity, and you're seeing pressure on cards balances. And on the commercial side, starting on the, on the low end, on, on the, the small business side, PPP has had just a, a tremendous impact with the hundreds of billions of dollars of liquidity it's put into the system, and you're seeing depressed loan growth and paydowns. On the commercial and corporate side, certainly Bob's business and, and my business, you're seeing paydowns occur specifically because of excess liquidity in the system, but also because of the cheap money and access to capital markets. You're seeing a lot of even revolving credits pay down and various forms of bank debt uh, being retired or certainly not being leveraged. Utilization rates are at all-time lows that I can remember going back uh, uh, quite a long time. And, and so those are all the pressure points. What I would say is that, and I've mentioned this in the last quarter too, is we were expecting on the, as the recovery takes hold into the back end of this year, we would have expected to start to see some pickup in loan growth and loan volume. And just one little uh, a tidbit of real-time data, you know, I know you're looking at the averages and what we're reporting here, but also in the material, we're giving you spot balances, and you're beginning to see some signs of green shoots for loan growth in the U.S. If you're looking at the spot numbers, you're seeing more robust uh, second quarter to third quarter growth in mortgages, in cards are actually up and positive, not down. Uh, and you're seeing the same in the auto business. 
so uh, what I'd say is that's that's certainly a positive, and we continue to watch on the commercial side. You know, the teams, uh, if you look at my business on the commercial side, we're underwriting a ton of business, uh, but just as quickly as we're putting it on, which is generating good fee income as well, uh, there's a lot of refinancing going on for long-term structures in the capital markets, and we're going to continue to watch for that growth on the commercial side. But we expect that in the back ha half of the calendar year to start emerging. Okay, thank you. Thank you. There are no more questions in the queue at this time. I would now like to return the call to Mr. Barrett Masrani for closing remarks. Thank you, operator, and, and great questions you know, on, on many issues. Just to reiterate, you know, and I think you, you heard it in, in, in some of the responses, given the scale uh, and profile of our businesses, in the U.S. we have 10 million customers, TD Essential Banking, which is a new product that uh, just got introduced, uh, addresses a specific small segment of the underbank within our footprint. So just to keep that in perspective, you know, with respect to some of the questions that Terry was getting, once again, it's not... We've, we haven't seen, you know, compression in pricing in some of these products before. But as you've seen previously that, you know, we adjust our products, we adjust, you know, how we position the market, and we think, you know, we have a, a value proposition that is compelling. So we'll see how all these things play out. But, you know, suffice it to say, given the scale, size, and profile of TD, you know, we feel comfortable as to how we can sort of navigate through some of these issues that was brought up on the call. As an overall, uh, very happy with the results. I think, you know, the momentum as it gets built, as we get this pandemic more behind us, uh, is great. I think, you know, sequential quarter performance in various metrics that folks uh, have been citing, like PTPP growth. And I know it's a complicated number for us because you've got to adjust for partnerships, strategic card, you know, adjustments, et cetera. But I'm sure Jillian and Riaz and Kelvin will, will help you folks out. But overall, you know, I feel good, you know, that uh, there's great momentum in the business and, and, and it looks like, you know, we're getting out of this pandemic with good uh, growth potential. I do want to, uh, as usual, you know, thank 90,000 TD bankers around the world. They do a great job and continue to deliver for our shareholders. I also want to take a moment to recognize the changes we announced to our senior executive team, which take effect on September the 1st. Now, all of, many of you mentioned this. Bob will be retiring from his role as president and CEO of TD Securities, but he's not going far. He will stay on as chairman at, at TD Securities as, uh, as well as an advisor to me. Riaz, as all of you know, will be taking on uh, the president and CEO role at TD Securities after almost six years as CFO. And we will welcome Kelvin Tran and Barbara Hooper to the senior executive team. Kelvin as CFO and Barbara as EVP, Corporate Development, Treasury, and Strategic Sourcing. I look forward uh, to continuing to work with all of them in their new roles. And since this is Riaz's last call as CFO and Bob's last earnings call, I'd like to invite each of them to say a few words. Riaz? Uh, thank you, Bharat. Uh, it's been a real privilege uh, to serve as uh, TD's uh, CFOs uh, for uh, nearly six years. Uh, it's really been fantastic to work with our uh, investors and analysts, and I look forward to continuing to see many of you uh, in my new role. Uh, I'm really excited to be joining TD Securities uh, with uh, sincere thanks and appreciation to Bharat and to the board for the opportunity uh, Bob and the TDS leadership team have built a terrific franchise, and I feel lucky to be joining this uh, very talented team. 
and also thrilled, equally thrilled to see Calvin and Barb taking on their new roles. Uh, we do have a top finance and treasury organization. And to my colleagues there, I'd just like to say thank you. It's been a real privilege uh, working with you. Bob? Thanks, Riaz. Um, yeah, these last uh, 20 plus years at TD have been incredibly uh, rewarding. Um, I feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity to uh, work with so many great people at the dealer, across the bank, uh, and in the business community. I believe that uh, working together, we've built a, an impressive dealer franchise that continues to evolve and support our clients, attract and uh, retain great talent, and uh, make a lasting uh, difference in the communities in which we're involved. I look forward uh, to all the success that's to come for TD Securities as Riaz as transitions uh, into the president and CEO role next week. Got a great team to work with. I also look forward to uh, continuing to support the dealer's client coverage um, through my efforts as a chairman and also uh, continue to work with Barrett. I'd like to thank Barrett, the entire senior executive team, and the board for their support and guidance over the years. And last but not least, uh, thank you to everyone at TD Securities for a great partnership. We've accomplished so much together. And now I'll turn it back to Barrett uh, for the, his uh, final words. Thanks very much, Bob, and thank you, Riaz. You know, congratulations to all the new folks uh, in their new positions. Looking forward to great things. And thank you all for, for calling in and a great engaging call. Uh, look forward to seeing you in the next, uh, hopefully we can meet in person one of these days. Uh, otherwise, we'll talk 90 days from now. Stay safe and stay healthy. All the best. Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time, and we thank you for your participation. What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.